ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I'm thrilled that you would choose to spend some time here with me today. I hope everybody is having a safe and happy, a safe and what was the other word I was thinking about using? Smart. There we go. A safe and smart Thanksgiving. It's coming up on it. We're creeping up on Thanksgiving like goddamn, like it's a goddamn splinter cell mission, you know, just crouch walking behind that little turkey and bam, coming up behind it and fucking that little thing up. Um, Now, it's weird that I'm talking about turkey like this because I fucking cannot stand turkey. I hate that the traditional meat of choice on Thanksgiving is turkey. I've been eating it for as long as I could remember, probably since I was a little ass kid. And, you know, I, I got those teeth in and I was actually able to eat real food and Turkey is just, it's so difficult for turkey to be good, especially the white meat turkey. Like, I know that white meat in general isn't really that flavorful, but turkey is just like, imagine if like you just took a couple sheets of construction paper and stapled them together. That's what, that's what trying to eat white meat turkey is like. I'd much rather ham be on Thanksgiving, even though Thanksgiving is a side dish oriented holiday, which is really kind of fucked up. When you think about it, like we have a holiday where the entree isn't even the highlight, unless you got a ham or something, a little honey baked ham. Like turkey is just not it, bro. If if, if we're gonna be serious, like especially when you get stuffing, bro, stuffing, sweet potatoes. I mean, I'm not a big cranberry guy, but homemade cranberry sauce, like that is that shit's just different. Uh, beets is another thing little mixed greens like my aunt actually makes this it's like a marshmallow sweet potato pudding or some shit it's not really pudding I guess but it's marshmallows and then there's a little bit of sweet potato layered on top and then some cinnamon and it's baked and it is the it is by far the highlight of Thanksgiving undeniably the best part about getting together on the third Thursday of November like it's it's just on another level and um yeah but like Thanksgiving's always been weird to me just because of the whole like you know side dish greater than entree thing like especially if you come from an Italian family and y'all do Christmas Eve bro Christmas Eve is just different like Christmas Eve in my household there are no sides present it's all just main course you got scallops oysters clams three different types of shrimps you got shrimp cocktail shrimp scampi fried shrimp sound like fucking Forrest Gump talking to Lieutenant Dan trying to describe all of the all the different types of shrimp that are on the table and at least for me and in my house Thanksgiving uh, not Thanksgiving what fucking holiday is that Christmas Eve has always been just for superior in terms of like food in terms yeah no just like in terms of what's being spread out on the table like the holiday itself is just kind of like mid i mean if we're being real if we're being realistic here you should be thankful for everything that you're thankful for on thanksgiving you should be thankful every other day of the year like i'm thankful for my family my friends everybody all of y'all who listen to this i'm thankful for you but like i don't know it's kind of it's kind of cute i guess and we get a little bit of football too but like the football on this thanksgiving it's setting up to be just straight ass, right? We got 
the fucking Detroit Lions again because we got to watch them every Thanksgiving for whatever reason. They're going up against the Texans, and I think I think the Lions are like, what are they? They're like four and five or some shit. Let me pull that up. The Lions are four and five. I know the Texans have been dog shit all season, you know, because they went ahead and they traded DeAndre Hopkins, but that's neither here nor there. So we got Detroit that's four and six going up against what division are they in? The Texans, who are three and seven. Then we got the Cowboys and the Washington football team. And this is this is gonna make a break. This might make a break the playoffs for the NFC East, even though like I don't think any one team in the NFC East is good enough to represent the division in the playoffs. I'm thinking they just take the best players from each team and just build a roster. So instead of getting blown out by like 35 in the first round, they only they only go down by like 15 or 10 or something. Cause like this shit is a disgrace. You got Philly leading the division at three, six and one. Every other team is three and seven. Like, what the fuck kind of football are they playing over there? And it's just like, it's so it's so hard to watch, and it's going to be hard to watch. And there is only one good game on the slate for Thursday, and it's Ravens-Steelers. And there's a chance that game might not go down because the Ravens have a shit ton of positive COVID tests. I think there are at least 10 within the organization, not just the players, but pretty, but everybody, players, coaches, front office personnel. Everybody, like within the whole team, there are a whole bunch of COVID cases, and um, I th- they're going through the necessary protocols. But if there were to be a game that were postponed because of COVID, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this would be the one. But enough, enough with the bullshit, right? It's been how long has it been? It hasn't even. It's been a few days, a week maybe since. Uh, it's been about a week, I guess. No, a little less. I don't know. In any event, NBA free agency officially started, and of course, ever since the shit that went down with the Bucks, the signings weren't announced as early. So, you know, we were waiting three, four, five days to see where Gordon Hayward goes. I mean, we still don't know where Anthony Davis is going, but we're going to get to that in a minute. And so far, speaking about Anthony Davis, so far, I feel that it's appropriate to say that the Lakers have absolutely dominated the free agency period. And it's not particularly close. And when they do re-sign Anthony Davis, because all signs are pointing to that, they will, deservedly so, be probably the favorites to repeat as NBA champions in 2021. Now, let's just get a load of what the fuck these guys have done thus far. Now, this is courtesy of Real GM. The folks over there were gracious enough to go ahead and create a little free agency tracker. And so far, the Lakers have signed Marc Gasol, Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Caldwell they re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope. They re-signed Markeith Morris. And they poached Wesley Matthews away from the Milwaukee Bucks. This is on top of trading for Dennis Schroeder a couple weeks ago. Or uh, that was probably last week or so. Anyway, this team is looking stacked. Dude, they are just... They are on... They are at least on pace to hit a different level next year. And they still, again, have yet to re-sign Anthony Davis. Now, the Lakers... 
are finally building a team that LeBron James will operate best within. If you look at how this team is constructed, they're doing their best to mimic the championship teams in Cleveland and the ones in Miami. Danny Green um, was somebody who could have been like Mike Miller or J.R. Smith for LeBron. Mike Miller, of course, in Miami, J.R. Smith more recently in Cleveland, but um, his playoff production was not that. I remember I was looking a couple hours ago, just doing a little bit of research ahead of this, and Mike Miller in the finals. I'm actually going to go ahead and pull this up. So Mike Miller in the playoffs, it was, I think, he was a part of their first of the Heat of LeBron's initial title run. I'm just going to scroll down real quick to uh, the playoffs. Back in where, oh, he was a part of both. Okay, either way. Back in 2012 and 2013, Mike Miller in 45 in 40 playoff games, pardon me, shot 42.3% from three. Just incredible production from a guy who quite literally had only one job. His job was to make open threes because LeBron, D Wade, Chris Boss, Chris Bosch, pardon me, all those guys were gonna get there. They were, they were gonna get theirs. And even Chris Bosch got relegated a little bit. It was mainly LeBron and D Wade, but still, the team needed to be complete. There, there needed to be depth. There needed to be role players for them to contend. Mike Miller was that guy. J.R. Smith was also that guy, alongside Kyrie and Kevin Love when Kevin Love was healthy. Now, the biggest thing with me is that the Lakers never had that legitimate third guy. And I've brought this up many times, and I continue to bring it up because I felt that it was an enormous problem for them. Evidently, it was not because they got past the Miami Heat, although, although, I did expect the Heat to knock the Lakers out in seven games. And a lot of it was because, well, I don't want to say a lot of it. What attributed to Miami's ultimate downfall was Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo. Their injuries really just put a damper on Miami's, Miami's hopes. Like Jimmy Butler had to be the best version of Jimmy Butler and then another iteration of Jimmy Butler that we had never really seen before. I'm not saying the Lakers got lucky. I'm just saying, well, they did get a little lucky. Let's let's not beat around the bush here. But every championship team gets lucky. Like, there is always a little bit of luck involved in sports, whether it be a lucky bounce, an untimely injury. I mean, fuck, the Raptors got lucky multiple times during their title run. Kawhi Leonard's series winning three, that bounced in against Philly. Like, that's a lot of luck. Unfortunately, there was also the injury to Klay Thompson later on in the finals, as much as that sucks, it's still considered, I mean, I guess it would be unlucky. It is technically unlucky, but it was a break for Toronto because it drastically altered the series. It put them in a position to be Golden State and win a title. The Lakers got a little bit of that. Of course, LeBron and AD played their asses off and they deservedly won the finals. They did not, you know, upset Miami, but there were still issues, and the Lakers front office could have very well just sat back and been like, you know what? This team worked. We just need to bring back all these guys, 
and we'll be good. You know, re-sign Rajon Rondo, keep Danny Green on the roster, and, you know, that really could have been it. But I will give credit to Rob Polinka and everybody else, anyone who is there helping him, calling the shots, whatever. They were not satisfied. And I think that it was pretty clear that the team had to actually improve because the rest of the team, or the rest of the, the league, rather, was going to be improving. Because when you're the defending champions, right, everybody is gunning to beat you. They are crafting their teams to beat yours. Teams like Miami, the Clippers, the Rockets. Maybe not so, maybe not so anymore, but the Rockets, the Warriors, potentially. Although, with, the, uh, with Clay Thompson suffering another setback, unfortunately, that doesn't look like it's going to come to fruition. So as of right now, the Lakers, I don't want to say they'll go unchallenged. But the way the roster is currently constructed, they will have, they will hopefully have an easier time marching through the league, more or less. But the roster right now, even without Anthony Davis, is still very respectable, right? So this is, these names are sorted by their, um, their cap figure, courtesy of spotcheck.com. You got LeBron, Schroeder, they re-signed KCP, another, another huge Resigning because KCP, as much as we like to make fun of him and as much as we've turned him into a meme and would like to perpetuate that, he was vital during the Lakers' playoff run. I think he shot something like 38% from three during the postseason. He was what Danny Green was supposed to be. And I think part of that is why Danny Green got sent out to Oklahoma City because Danny Green, after, you know, torching LeBron in the heat a couple years back, He's kind of he's kind of fallen off a little bit. I'm gonna just pull up the numbers here, but you know, Danny Green, one of the more reliable three point shooters, has really been anything but in the postseason. So since when should I start this? So since 2007, since the 2016 2017 season, Danny Green is shooting 33 percent from downtown. 34% overall, and he has been getting a lot of minutes for the Raptors and the Lakers. It did not work out. He did not play that well. KCP earned it. KCP earned his new contract. Another big signing was, who was it? Montrezl Harrell, of course, sixth man of the year. Uh, was he the sixth man of the year? I think he was. Wow, I can't believe I already forgot who the fucking sixth man of the year was. I know he was in the running. I just don't remember if he actually won. He did win it. Yeah, he won it over Lou Williams and Dennis Schroeder, ironically enough. So Harrell was really the first big signing the Lakers got. And when that notification dropped, it was it was a shock, man, because you know, Harold was going to be a very, very hot commodity as far as teams around the league vying for his services. The Clippers were, of course, you know, a chance to get in there. But it just, the Lakers, uh, I don't know how this happened, right? But they signed Harold for less than 2 million, not less than 10 million a season. That is 
incredible. How they managed to finagle that is just shout out to them. Maybe it's because, you know, he's going back there and he's going to be a huge part of a championship team, but he only got not even a $4 million raise from his previous contract. Like, for the sixth man of the year to not get 15, 16, 17 million is really amazing. And considering the type of just player that Montrez Harrell is, he fits the Lakers to a T, right? So he's coming off a campaign where he's averaged 18.6 points, seven boards, and about one block per game, playing less than 30 minutes, coming off the bench primarily. He is a fantastic defender, tenacious, energetic, just super disruptive, super intimidating because, you know, he's not that big, but he's intense. He's athletic. He competes. He's very, like, he's very glue guy-ish in his approach to the game where he's going out and doing all the little things, but he does them on such a massive scale. And he does other things on top of that. Like, this guy is a legitimate option in the post. I don't want to say he's a legitimate option in the post, but he can definitely hold his own. Like, if you can dump the ball into him every so often, he might be able to make something happen. I mean, working with, if they do work with LeBron in the pick and roll, he's going to be just an absolute beast. Even Dennis Schroeder, like, you can kind of just throw the ball up and it's like, oh, Trez is somewhere over there. He'll go up and get it. And coming off the bench, backing up AD, someone who can give them consistent minutes, like, be out there consistently for 25, 30 minutes a game. And your backup big role, solidified. As much as we love to talk about JaVale and Dwight and all the things they did for the Lakers, they're not on Montrez's Harrell. Not, they're not on Montrez Harrell's level. Like Dwight nor JaVale are giving them, or were giving them, Harrell's production in that time frame. So Harrell, clear upgrade. So your backup center spot already taken care of. Now, Dennis Schroeder, they got him, and then eventually let Rajon Rondo walk. Rondo went to the Atlanta Hawks, who have also had a pretty decent free agency. I got to give a shout out to that organization. They've done quite well for themselves, and maybe we'll get to them a little later, but we're going to stay with the Lakers for right now. And I think I was able to talk about Dennis Schroeder on the last episode, but in case I haven't, Dennis Schroeder is really a tremendous upgrade over everybody else on the team that is not LeBron or AD. Shooter is a reliable scorer who can create for himself, create for others. He's going to be huge in spacing the floor with LeBron, right? I believe he shot, he shot over, had to shoot over 35% last season. What was he at? He was at 38 and a half, even better. He's going to be huge in just keeping the floor open for LeBron and AD. And they potentially got their third guy. And he already isn't someone who has to like become accustomed to taking a back seat, if that makes any sense. Because just from where he's been at in his career, yeah, he was a starting point guard with the Hawks, but that was because they really had nobody else. And he was fine in that role. But going to OKC, starting only 14 games, really leading the second unit, he, I really don't think that he has an ego about him. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that anyone 
with an ego is a bad person. Because ultimately, if you're a professional athlete, you kind of have to have an ego just to, you know, pump yourself up and be a little self-confident in that you can go out and contend with the, the 1% of the 1%. Like, I don't think there's going to be a huge shift because Dennis Shooter, you know, has to get used to not having the ball in his hands. Like, he can play alongside stars. He's already done that. He played alongside Chris Paul in OKC. He played alongside Danilo Gallinari. He played alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander, right? And what's even better is that you can pick and choose your spots with him. He's probably going to be the starting point guard just because it makes the most sense. But, you know, he can come off the bench throughout throughout the game. And if there's if he has the edge in a point guard matchup, I'm almost certain he's going to be on the court. He's also definitely going to be on the court when it's late in the game and your five best players are out there. It's going to be him, LeBron, AD, Trez, and I'm thinking probably KCP. KCP over Kyle Kuzma because Kuz simply does not fit. And, oh, wait, hold on. It's, yeah, it would either be KCP or Wesley Matthews, but I assume those guys would be used interchangeably because they're pretty much the same player and their play styles are so similar that, you know, you could put those, you could, you could swap those guys and it really not, it really not make a difference. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Wesley Matthews might be a little bit better as a defender. I'm just going to go to Synergy real quick and check what his stats are. Because I remember, I remember him being like in the conversation for, you know, elite three and D guys, but I really would not consider him elite by any means. Let's see. Let's. So as far as defensive possessions go, oh, wow, I'm bugging. He is, Wesley Matthews finished this most recent season in the 88th percentile in points per possessions, allowing 0.833. What the fuck? Opponents shot 30, 37% when guarded by him. They shot 23.5% in isolation. Defended the pick and roll very well. Defended spot-up shooters very well. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be Wesley Matthews out there late in the game. And damn, I didn't realize he was that good on defense. That that really changes. That really changes how I view the signing. It goes from good to great now. Like, what they get? They got him for like it's one year. Got him for three and a half million, bro. That's crazy. That's crazy. And this dude produced. In Milwaukee, like he was, he had a big role out there. 25 minutes, 36% from three in the postseason. What was he at? What was he at in the postseason? 39, 39.5%, almost 40% from three in 10 games. Like that's, that's amazing production. Yeah, Wesley Matthews is going to thrive playing alongside LeBron. That's for sure. I mean, no disrespect, but Giannis does not compare to LeBron as a passer. I think everybody knows this. Like, Wes could probably shoot 45% with LeBron getting him all these open looks. Like, I'm I'm not putting it past him. I'm actually going to go to NBA.com, see what his wide open, see, like, all the advanced numbers where we at. Forgot how, I haven't been on this site in so long. I forgot how to do this. Shot distance. Where's the defender tab? 
I don't know how to get to this. It's going to bug me. Is this it? Shots at the shooting dashboard? I think this is it. Yep, this is it. So on shots that were considered wide open, that's when the defender is greater than six feet away. Wes shot about 40%, 39.8%. Only got two and a half, two point nine possession, or only got 2.9 shot attempts per game, which was almost half of his three-point attempts. I, I'm expecting that to skyrocket with the Lakers. Like he should be getting four or five wide open threes per game. I mean, it's it's going to be flowing like a goddamn waterfall. Like, and then the Lakers also went out and signed Marc Gasol. Like, bro, veteran big who can give quality minutes. Like, that's a tremendous signing. Markeith Morris, who I already mentioned, re-signed as well. Like, and then you add Anthony Davis to all of it. I think the Lakers are going to be very difficult to beat next season. Uh, I don't really know who's challenging for them or who's going to be challenging them because I'm kind of not sold on the Clippers right now. The Clippers kind of stunk it up in regards to free agency. They pretty much swung and missed on everybody. They didn't re-sign Trez. They didn't. Who else did they not re-sign? They didn't re-sign Trez. Didn't get Markeith. I think they got um, Marcus Morris. Yeah, they re-signed him. Um, they missed Chris Dunn. Missed Michael Green. Missed Mark Gasol. They re-signed Patrick Patterson. But like, I simply don't think that Paul George and Kawhi are going to be enough. They also traded Landry Shamit to the uh, to the Nets. I forgot who they got in that deal. But um, I think they got Luke Kennard. So, I don't know. I'm not really too high on the Clippers. As of now... It's going to be the Lakers. It's going to be the Lakers conference title to lose. That's for sure. The team is just super stacked and even more so. The players fit the roles and they fit the roles that the Lakers desperately needed last year. And I say desperately in spite of them winning the championship because, again, they did get a little lucky. They did get <laughs> a little bit of help. From the basketball gods, but this it's it's not going to be the case this year. I think they're just simply going to go out and be better than everybody else, and it this should be a scary sight for the league. Um, I'm trying to think of who else had a decent free agency. I know the Bucks. Bucks were okay, right? So I'm very much like the Lakers. They signed a whole bunch of role players, including Bobby Portis. I don't understand why they. Went after Bobby Portis, DJ Augustine, Brent Forbes. They re-signed Pat Connaughton. They signed Torrey Craig, decent defender in the backcourt. Um, it was really killer that they, either them or the Kings, fucked up Bogdan Bogdanovich. You would have to think that it was the Kings who just like went smooth brain and were like, oh yeah, we could trade this guy even though he's technically not a member of your team at that point, because free agency had begun. And Bogdan was like, listen, bro, fuck y'all. I'm not coming back. And like, I was, I was shitting my pants when I learned that they got Bogdan Bogdanovich because he's a fantastic player who could really thrive alongside Giannis, Drew, and Chris Middleton. And then 
to get the follow-up report where it's like, oh, by the way, Bogdan had not agreed to sign. Therefore, the sign and trade is illegitimate. Now, you have to think that the Bucks are trying to get him, and the Kings have them under the assumption that Bogdan is already re-signed. And I'm thinking the Kings are just like, oh yeah, he's going to re-sign. Where else is he going to go? Meanwhile, they're forgetting that he is a legitimately talented player and he fits the modern age very well. So they're on the phone talking to John Horst and Horst is like, so yeah, you, uh, you're you going to re-sign Bogdan so you can send him over here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. And then next thing you know, comes out, Bogdan does not want to re-sign with the Kings, ultimately goes to the Atlanta, to the Atlanta Hawks and it kind of just threw a monkey wrench into everything. And I think that's why Milwaukee went out and just signed a bunch of like average players just to help keep the roster, you know, full, right? Because they traded away Drew Holiday and to get Drew Holiday, they had to trade a shit ton of players. Like they just, there was such a massive trade, right? So I'm going to basketball reference, rolling all the way down. Um, it's not the transaction isn't processed yet. That's wonderful. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go to Twitter, twitter.com, and we're gonna find out who exactly got traded. I remember it was George Hill and George Hill and who else was it? George Hill and Eric Bledsoe. I remember. Let's see, let's see. Okay, so ultimately this was probably the most fucking convoluted trade i remember sitting there trying to think it like trying to think it through it's all a part of the steven adams trade and we'd gotten reports that steven adams had been traded and i read the tweets six or seven times and i still i derped out i had no idea who was going where i barely knew who the fuck was even involved in the trade all i knew was steven adams is out of okc so this was tweeted two days ago, so that would make it Sunday, 22nd. Sham Sharanya, trade complete, fucking finally. Milwaukee got Drew Holiday. New Orleans got Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and four picks from the Bucks. Two of them were outright, the other are swaps. George Hill ultimately went to the Thunder, and the dogs are barking very loudly. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's one of the dogs. Very, um, very timely, as you can tell. So, okay, so you get George Hill, Josh, Josh Gray, Kenrick Williams, Zillin, Zylon, Zylan? I want to I say Zillin because it's spelt Dylan with a Z, but I don't know if that's the pronunciation. So, I, I don't know about that. His last name is Cheatham. They also got Darius Miller and a whole bunch of picks. I think it was like three picks in total. And then the Nuggets somehow finagled their way into this and got RJ Hampton. So all you need to know is that Milwaukee parted ways with Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, both of whom were huge pieces of the rotation from Milwaukee. That was their point guard rotation, actually, right? Eric Bledsoe starter, George Hill come off the bench. Pat Connaughton would play a little bit of PG as well, but really not like that. So trading for Drew Holiday, who is automatically going to be your starting point guard. You're going to need someone to back him up. You got DJ Augustin. Solid player. Older guy. 33. So it's really unclear how much he's going to play, but he can produce 
in the minutes that he's given. He is a very, very good shooter, a very good floor general. The same thing with Bryn Forbes, although Bryn Forbes is significantly younger, so you would think that he's going to get a bulk of the backup minutes, and especially coming from Greg Popovich, the kid just the kid knows how to play basketball. He knows how to play. He's going to do the right thing. He's not going to try and stand out too much, which is always good because when you're playing alongside Giannis and Drew and Chris, you really you, you want to stay out of their way as often as possible. And most importantly is probably his shooting. He's a 40% shooter from three for his career. Shot 38.8% last season. Like the kid just, he simply gets it done. And that's what the Bucks are looking for. They also wanted to strengthen the front court, bringing in Bobby Portis. Now, as much shit as Bobby Portis gets, he is a very intimidating force on the inside. Bangs around, gets a bunch of boards. Uh, he's kind of like an enforcer, although his minutes can be kind of sporadic depending on whether or not he gets into foul trouble. And then they also strengthened out the guard rotation with Tory Craig. Now, I don't know if the Bucks are done. They're likely done shopping around. They feel that they have their team. I mean, they've got what are they? they got Giannis, Drew, Chris Middleton. There's three guys right there. You're that's your those are your three stars. You got Brooke Lopez. He's still on the roster. Um, who else? We were just fucking talking about. Let's go. Let's go to the Milwaukee Bucks. Cap page. Pulling that up right now. So they got Giannis, Chris, Drew, Brooke, um, Pat Connaughton, DJ Wilson. I thought he got traded. Oh, no, he was supposed to get traded, but then that, of course, ultimately fell apart. So him and Dante DiVincenzo were supposed to go to Sacramento, but as we know, that shit evaporated like water in the Sahara. That No shot. And then, uh, yeah, it's pretty much... That's pretty much it. They might re-sign Kyle Korver, potentially. I don't, I don't know if that's possible, but he is entering free agency. But they got a decent team. They do have a very, very solid team. I think that they should be the favorites in the East. Just because the depth. And again, they still have Giannis, right? When you have the best player, arguably the best player in the NBA, Come on, it's it's hard to bet against them, right? So I'm trying to think. Like the Sixers have also had a pretty good offseason, you know, trading for Seth Curry, Terrence Ferguson. I definitely talked about this last week, so I'm not going to regurgitate that. But that's pretty much. I feel like I really just wanted to praise the Lakers for how they've gone about this because they could have easily, as I said before, they could have easily fucked this up, right? And by fucking it up, they wouldn't necessarily get worse, but not getting better the year after a championship is just, it's bad management, it's bad business, it's bad basketball, ultimately. And I can see why it'd be easy for them to kind of fall into the security that is having LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but I don't, I don't know, especially because like you don't know how much longer you have with AD, right? So AD hasn't signed yet. And that was purposeful. Everybody knew this heading into the offseason that him and Clutch Sports were going to take their time. And they were going to, you know, really have 
multiple ideas of what their deal was going to look like because Anthony Davis is 27 years old. In two years, he will be a 10-year veteran, which means he'll be able to get the max, whatever the max contract is at that time. I imagine it would be upwards of $37 million. I think LeBron James is getting about 39 right now, so it would be somewhere in that 37 to $40 million range. He's going to get that, right? It's just a matter of where. And the Lakers know that he's probably not going to sign a one-and-one like he did when he originally came to Los Angeles. If I had to guess, the most likely outcome is the two-year with the player option for the third year. It works out because that is the current amount of years left on LeBron's contract. LeBron is, I think LeBron still has a um, a two plus a two plus one, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to fact check that real quick. In any event, he's either going to try to match LeBron's contract just so they can be on the team together, or, or, oh no, LeBron has a one and one right now. Okay, so that changes everything then. Could happen where Anthony Davis potentially takes the two plus one because he will be able to get his super max. But then also, should LeBron decline his player option and hit free agency, they could maybe get one more run together. Although that's going to be a very expensive tandem for the Lakers because there is no certainty that LeBron James will become significantly worse over the last few over the next few years because his drop off although it's been noticeable he's still consistently putting up LeBron James like numbers and one would imagine that that would continue for at least a few more years right LeBron is set to earn 41 million in 2021-22 the year after this campaign if he picks up that option which is probably likely depending on what the max value of his contract is and there is a lot of uncertainty with the next few years because of the whole COVID situation right until the United States figures out the COVID situation whether it's by vaccine herd immunity mask mandate whatever it is until that gets figured out the league's revenue is going to be significantly capped because no fans in the arena means a lot less money is coming in. And that means the cap is going to either remain what it's at right now or dip even lower. Cap dips lower, less money for teams to dole out. Therefore, players are automatically having their salaries reduced, or at least one would think, right? So depending on all that, LeBron could pick up his contract. He would then be on the team for the 2022-2023 season, and then AD will be around 30, 31 years old. LeBron will be about 38. Maybe they go out and they win another title. It's very possible, but the ball is in AD's court here, and there really isn't much negotiation, I think, that needs to be done. It's all probably just like deciding how the money is going to be handed out. It's likely going to be backloaded 
So the more time AD spends there, he'll obviously earn more money. It'll be like a 5 6 7% increase or something like that. And I think he's going to get probably about 30 million, whatever the max is for his um his tenure, I guess. He's going to get it. I think it's like the 7 to 9 year range is probably like 32, 33, 34 million, something like that. He's going to get it. And the Lakers would be fools not to give it to him. And I think that he wants to come back to the Lakers. It's just, again, a matter of, am I going to get this money, right? It's all just like, it's coming down to financials. I don't think that really anyone is even in the running for AD. I don't think there have been any reports about him wanting to go anywhere else. I'm on Real GM right now. And in the little um, interested teams tab, it only has the Lakers. So that's a good sign for them, I guess, that there really is there really is no competition for him at this point. And again, bringing him back, it just further cements them as being as being the favorites for the title next season. And then some other, you know, want to give an honorable mention to the Atlanta Hawks, who have had very solid very very solid free agency they got Danilo Gallinari they got Bogdan Bogdanovich they got someone else they got Rajon Rondo it's pretty good I'm not expecting the Hawks to be super competitive this coming season but you know they might win a couple couple impressive games against some quality opponents because this right now is looking like it's a squad right you got Trey Young you got Danilo Gallinari Chris Dunn, Rondo, John Collins. They could also very well trade either John Collins or Clint Capella because John Collins is knocking on the door of a max contract and somebody is going to give it to him because why would you not pay a lot of money to someone averaging 19 and 11? It just, it doesn't really make sense not to. Ah, had to get a little bit of that. Water flowing, throat's getting a little dry, voice getting a little raspy because I've been talking for so long. But, like, also, we got to shout out Gordon Hayward for getting the gold medal in the Finesse Olympics. This man wrestled $120 million from the Charlotte Hornets. I was playing Xbox with my friend Denim the other night. Bro, we got the notification that Gordon Hayward declined his $34 million option. And we both got it at the same time. And we both turned to each other. Or we both said to each other, oh yeah, there's no way he's getting that money. Right? Because obviously, Gordon Hayward is undeserving of that money. His his production does not match the salary. Right? This is a guy averaged... 17.5 points, 7 boards last year, shot 50% from the field, 38% from 3. Those numbers put him in the 20 to $24 million range. He should have gotten Joe Harris money. Oh, by the way, shout out to the Nets, and thank you for re-signing Joe Harris. I'm super excited to watch the team this year, and retaining retaining Joey, retaining Joey Buckets, retaining the lumberjack, the lethal lumberjack that he is, It's just, it's, it, it makes my heart warm. 
I really much, I very much enjoyed reading that notification. But Hayward's numbers are in that bracket. And for him to have gotten $30 million annually from the Charlotte Hornets is a literal crime. It is grand theft. It is bribery. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it is a crime that the Charlotte Hornets paid him that much money. And it's not that Gordon Hayward is a bad player. It's just that the money does not fit the production. When you get close to that max contract territory, you want bona fide stars, right? You want guys like Kawhi, Brandon Ingram, LeBron James, shit, even Jason Tatum, right? De'Aaron Fox, someone who recently got extended. You want guys like that, game changers. Gordon Hayward, at this point, is simply not a game changer. And I don't understand why Michael Jordan signed off on this. I don't understand why they, this was even on the table. It just makes... It just makes no sense. It really does not make any sense. And especially when you consider the fact that they drafted LaMelo Ball, right? They got the best player in this most recent draft. And ideally, in that case, you have a young guy who's coming in to be the face of your franchise. Hopefully for the next 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years, you would want him to have the ball as often as possible, right? Because he's already going to be sharing touches with Terry Rozier and Malik Monk and Miles Bridges. And Devontae Graham. So now you're going to bring in Gordon Hayward. Who really doesn't offer much to a rebuilding team. It's kind of like they're gunning for mediocrity, right? Like, they're not trying to rebuild the right way. They're just trying to be not bad. Which, at this point, doesn't make sense for them. Because they were linked to Russell Westbrook. What the fuck is Russell Westbrook going to do on the Hornets? Make them an 8 seed, a 38-win team as opposed to a 37-win team. It's just the ownership strategy and just like the overall ineptitude of the basketball operations office is just like astonishing, I feel like. It's, it literally does not make any sense. And of course, Gordon Hayward is going to fucking take that deal because he knows that no one else is giving him $30 million. Come on, do you think him and his agent... Um, sitting here banging the mic around. You think that him and his agent are that stupid to turn down $30 million for someone who is producing for 60% of that? They would be the fools to turn that down. I don't care how bad the Hornets are. If you're paying me $30 million, I'm fucking going there, right? I will be on the first flight. I will walk there for $30 million. Like, I, I just don't understand this from the Hornets' perspective. Like, it's just... I think it was by far the worst signing of the uh, of the beginning of free agency. Like I don't think there's anything that has usurped it. It's just like I've been watching a lot of sports, right? I've been following the NBA and the NFL for a long time. I've seen a bunch of things. I saw Billy fucking King trade like 18 picks for Gerald Wallace, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. I remember looking at who those picks turned into, seeing Damian Lillard, Jalen Brown, Draymond Green on this list. It fucking pained me 
I watched the Houston Texans trade away DeAndre Hopkins for a, a second round pick. You mean to tell me that you couldn't get a first round pick for the best receiver in the NFL, arguably? I'm backtracking here. I ranted about this last week, but just when you think, just when you think that an organization cannot be dumber than any previous organization, that organization comes out and does some dumb shit. It's just like, it's just how it goes, right? Whether it's intentional or not, there is going to be an organization that comes out, whether it's next summer or two summers from now, and just fucks off so hard that it's going to make the Hayward signing look bad, right? They could probably go. It could be the fucking Minnesota Timberwolves signing Chris Paul for $35 million again. After seeing his production drop in this coming season. I'm not saying it will, but if it, if it does, right? If he plays, obviously, not up to $35 million, boom. Or maybe, fuck, John Wall, right? We don't know what John Wall's going to look like when he comes back. Maybe, I don't know, some team just fucking fucks that up. I'm like, it's always going to happen. And speaking of John Wall, right? So John Wall comes out the other day, reportedly says, yo, get me the fuck out of here. Obviously, he didn't say it like that. That's not how trade requests work in the NBA, at least how they're reported to the public. But he basically said, I want to get the fuck out of here. This place sucks. I hate it. And I simply want to leave. Right? Tommy Shepard comes out, says, no, that never happened. I'm like, what? Well, obviously, of course, the owner, I forgot, I think he's the owner of the team, is obviously going to come out and dispute the report that his star player wants to be dealt, right? Even though it's probably the case, because I have a tweet here from Ava Wallace that says, quote, as at his community event in Southeast, John Wall says, no comment when asked if he requested a trade from the Wizards. If you don't want to be traded as an athlete and someone is misrepresenting you, you would come out and say, no, I want to stay with the team. Anything else is pretty much like, okay, yeah, he wants out. But can you blame him? Like, really, can you blame John Wall for wanting to leave? No. Like, he is an aging point guard who is coming off an Achilles injury and he doesn't know how many years he has left. Nobody does. And he doesn't want to play on the Wizards who at best, if him and Bradley Beal are fully healthy, are the maybe the eighth best team in the conference, especially with the current roster they have. <coughs> Pardon me. No shot. He wants to be there. And I don't blame him. I think the Wizards should get him the hell out of there. I think they should get Bradley Beal out of there too because it doesn't make any sense to have them on the team. Especially now, dude. Bradley Beal's value is at an all-time high. This dude came out last season, averaged like 30 fucking points, 30 points per game. Six assists. Shot 35% from the floor. Was not an all-star for whatever reason. Should have been an all-star. Right? Should have been on an all-NBA team. Unfortunately, he was not. And the best part was that he was healthy, right? He's been healthy each of the last four seasons, playing the majority of the games. His value 
has never been higher. They could get two, they could get three first round picks for Bradley Beal. The Hornets got two for Drew Holiday. And Bradley Beal is a tier above Drew Holiday. You mean to tell me that the Wizards would not be able to get three picks for Bradley Beal? Or at least two? It's at least two, man. Come on. Don't give me that. Like, they, they really need to start over, but for some reason, they, they just can't, right? And I'm not surprised that Tommy Shepard is like, no, we don't want to trade John Wall. It's bullshit because they probably don't want to trade John Wall. And that's why he's saying it because he feels that it's better to have John Wall on the team. And I also kind of understand it from their perspective because John Wall's value, it's really at this point based off of his reputation, right? His injury really plays a part in it. And I think they're saying this because he's going to come out this season, hopefully, because I really miss watching John Wall play, but he's going to come out and his value is only going to go up the better he plays, right? So the Wizards are saying this because they don't want to trade him right now because his value isn't as high as, as it might be. However, the risk in that is that he comes out and he doesn't play to the level that he was playing at before the injury and that is a high level to reach pre Achilles injury John Wall was quite possibly the best point guard in the league right he was up there with Steph and Dame and Kyrie like this dude was consistently dropping 20 and 10 right while being a menace of a defender and improving his three-point shot and then, of course, tragedy strikes and his Achilles just falls off, which is super unfortunate. But, like, I'm thinking if I'm the Wizards, no part of me, I'm guessing, fuck. If I'm the Wizards, I'm thinking I just, I just cut it, right? Because they're paying him $43 million for the upcoming season and then potentially $47 million if he picks up his player option. I think it would just be better, better for them to just move on and... Start fresh. I mean, they got Rui, Hachimura, Hachimura. You know, could be, could be the face of the franchise. Played well this past season. I can say that. Did play very well. But like, I just, I don't know if it's working, bro. I, 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 I'm interested to see how this situation plays out because between him and Russ, there might be two of, there might be, Two of the best point guards of a generation on the move again, right? And who knows where they're going to go? A lot of it is because of like fit, but also because of money, because those guys are making a lot of bread, right? Like it's going to be tough to integrate that into a team without that team having to give up a lot, right? Unless the Wizards were to like stretch his contract or restructure it but even then like even then if they were to trade him wouldn't the team he's going to take on all that money because like they have to pay for him either way when you trade for a player you're trading for the contract too like that's why some teams are willing to take on bad deals right because ultimately at least for them it helps them get to where they're going right so i Unless the Wizards were to like wave him or buy him out, which I don't think is that likely. Unless John Wall says, look, I'm not going to play unless you guys get me the fuck out of here. Which, 
of course, it could happen, right? We're in a time where the players run the league, and that's how, that's how it should be. Any sports league, it should be a player's league. They should dictate the majority of their moves, right? The, the NBA, they've, they've reached this point, and they can't go back. Players are really the driving forces in, in the NBA's economy, really. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, I think that's really that's really all I had in mind. Um, I did pick up a win in fantasy this week. Thank fucking God. I pulled out the dub late, came down to the Monday night game, and I couldn't fucking sleep because of it. I was getting hot flashes, tossing and turning. I was having nightmares about Robert Woods catching multiple touchdown passes and putting up 50, and it did not happen. Thank God it did not happen, right? Back up to six and five. And I'm just praying that for the next couple of weeks, guys just stay healthy, right? This was supposed to be the first week where everybody on my team was healthy, right? Mahomes, Michael Thomas, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper, bam, right off the bat, those four strikes fear into anybody going up against them. And then after that, boom, we got Chris Carson and DeAndre Swift in the backfield, right? That six-man lineup is super frightening. If I were going up against my team, I would be a little nervous, right? And the only reason I'd be just a little nervous is because admittedly, my tight end is trash. Austin Hooper is trash because he's got fucking Baker Mayfield attempting to throw the ball his way, which does really not happen that often. Uh, I do have the Colts defense, which isn't, too bad, but like they're not really like they're not they're not like that, you know. I mean, they get the job done, but I relied on Tampa Bay last night and they almost fucked me. Mainly because they simply did not want to cover Robert Woods like at all. This dude went off for 30 and I won by 5 points. And I I was just like, "Come on, bro." And it sucked because like I couldn't play Chris Carson because his foot was hurt. Couldn't play DeAndre Swift because he had a concussion, or as Yahoo reported, he had a brain injury, which was the first time I had ever heard of a concussion described that way. And I was like, damn, that sounds fucking visceral. Like, oh, he can't play, he's got a brain injury. Which, I mean, it's technically what it is, but like, it just sounds, it makes it sound so much worse. I mean, concussions, you know. As someone who has probably been concussed in the past, just not medically diagnosed, they're not that bad. Unless, of course, you get a whole bunch of them. Like a concussion every, you know, if you go through your whole life, you have two concussions, you're pretty good, right? As far as I know, DeAndre Swift, this is his first concussion ever, right? I don't know. I don't know. It was just weird seeing it described as a brain injury. I'm like, bro, what the fuck? So he was out. I had to go with Leonard Fournette, who hasn't really done much of late. He kind of fell off. Just Tampa Bay is kind of feeding Ronald Jones, so I'm I'm indifferent about it. And I was playing Rex Burkhead because I was optimistic about him, and the poor guy winds up getting carted off the field in like the second quarter. Jacoby Myers also did not perform that well, which I was a little upset about. My gut was like, you should play Corey Davis over Jacoby Myers, and my brain was like, shut the fuck up, you know what you're talking about. And it turns out that I'm a big dumb idiot because Corey Davis outscored him by like ten points. So there's that. 
I might be a dumb bitch for keeping Jacoby Myers in the lineup, but he is going up against the Arizona Cardinals this season or this week. Although, if Patrick Peterson draws that assignment, I might be looking pretty dumb. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to analyze that because Corey Davis is, you know, he's missed a couple games, but every other game he's popped off. He's gotten at least, he's gotten at least 10 points in every single game, which is great production, especially if we're going to drop him into the flex, like in an, in the ideal scenario, right? I got, let's see, I'm going to pull this up. I'm going to pull this up right here. So last night or this week, I should say. Michael Thomas gave me, what did he give me, 20? It's not telling me because the Yahoo app is broken. I love it. I fucking love it. All right, let's go to week 12. Michael Thomas gave me 19. I got 14 from Calvin Ridley, so I'm at 33 right now. And then another 14 from Amari Cooper. Right, 33 and 14 is 47. 47 points from three guys. It's pretty good. And then Mahomes put up 22 and a half. So I'm looking good, right? Leonard Fournette, although I'm talking a lot of shit, he's still got nine points below his average. But like that Rams defense, when you're running into Aaron Donald 50% of the time, <coughs> you're not going to be that good. I don't care who you are. Aaron Donald is, he was created in a fucking lab in a galaxy 100 million light years away. As far as I'm concerned, that man is not human, right? Like, it was just, it was a tough scene. It was it was a tough scene, but fortunately, I I caught some breaks, and that's really all fantasy football is about. Just you know, getting lucky that one of your guys goes off and the other doesn't. And with that, I'm gonna close it out. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is not your first time, welcome back. As always, please follow me on Twitter. Links will be in the description. And find a way to support the show, whether it's subscribing on iTunes, leaving a rating, leaving a review, uh, setting up a recurring donation, however you want to do it. I'm greatly appreciative and I will see you guys next week.